1: And unfortunately, so many of us are literally giving ourselves cognitive decline or simply suboptimal cognition because we are not doing the right thing. Hey
0: everybody, welcome to another episode of Health Theory. I am here with Dr. Dale Bredesen, who is a world-renowned brain health researcher and the best-selling author of The End of Alzheimer's. Dale, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much, Tom, great to be here.
0: So I want to dive into something that is extraordinarily important to me, which is cognitive optimization. It's something that I think a lot about, and um, there are few people that I've seen take the approach that you take. Most people have said for ever, basically, that there is no cure for um, cognitive decline, and once you're sort of on the backslide, that's just it, and there's not a lot that you can do. Um, you were so bold as to write a book called the end of alzheimers so what is it that you know that everybody else
1: doesn't yeah and i should say you know that that cognitive optimization now goes very well with prevention of alzheimers in the future so what we used to think of as hey you don't have to worry about this until you're in your 60s no we should be doing in our teens 20s 30s 40s uh, we will get better outcomes we will get you know we will get better brain health. We'll get better performance. So the, the goal of my laboratory over the years was to look at what are the, the molecular mechanisms that drive the degenerative state. People say Alzheimer's is because of free radicals. It's because of metal binding problems. It's because of misfolded proteins. It's because of prions. It's because, you know, what, what have you. And the reality is that people don't understand what it is. So that's what we set out to look at 30 years ago. And what we found was really surprising. What we found is that at the heart of Alzheimer's is an insufficiency. You literally have a plasticity network in your brain that responds. And again, this is not surprising. If you think about what it takes to make a country work or to make your business work, you have a supply, you have a demand. So what happens in Alzheimer's, you have a chronic mismatch between the demand and the supply, and there are four big things that affect those. Number one, anything that drives ongoing inflammation, and that can be dentition, so changes in your oral microbiome, changes in your sinus microbiome, gut microbiome, um, systemic inflammation, metabolic syndrome, uh, P. gingivalis, herpes simplex one, on and on and on. Anything that drives inflammation, anything that adds toxicity to your brain. And unfortunately, as you know, we are all exposed to toxins like never before, from the California fires to the you know the air pollution that we live with, to the processed foods that we are exposed to. You know, on and on and on to you know the water supply and on and on and on. So those are two of the big ones. The third one is trophic support. So this was actually discovered years ago by Rita Levy Montalcini, who won the Nobel Prize for her work. She discovered the first one, which she called the nerve growth factor. These are typically proteins that bind to specific receptors in your brain and essentially say things are good. So what happens with Alzheimer's is you have this set of things that are suboptimal, and as I said, that can be inflammatory things, it can be toxic things, can be reduced growth factor and trophic support, including nutrients and hormones, and then energetics, and that's a misunderstood one. Many people, here's a simple example of many, you go to sleep at night, you drop your oxygenation. For many people, they don't realize, this is happening sometimes in their 20s, 30s, 40s, now you can check this easily. Check it with your Apple Watch. Check it you know, with a better, whatever you like or get, a, or get a sleep study. You should be sitting at 96 to 98% oxygen saturation. What drops people's levels? So when I started researching you,
0: I literally immediately, I, I paused my research and went and bought two oximeters, one for myself and one yep. for my wife. Um, I mean, I, and then I started thinking, well, wait a second. What would cause my oxygen levels to
1: drop? Would it be um, just sleep apnea or are there other things? Yeah, the most common is sleep apnea. Um, and by the way, that happens more in males, more as we get a little older, more as we are a little overweight, which, again, a big problem in our country, uh, in the Western world, more as we have inflammation. So systemic inflammation associated with sleep apnea. A lot of people will actually improve their sleep apnea just as they improve their inflammatory status. Mm. But there are also other conditions. Uh, there's, one, for example, something called UARS upper airway resistance syndrome, where you don't actually have apneic episodes, but you are essentially struggling to get enough air through there while you're sleeping. So it's a resistance syndrome. And by, because of that, you're now repeatedly making a little bit of adrenaline. Boom. So you're waking up again and again and again. So again, good to know that you're sleeping, that you're getting enough REM sleep, you're getting enough slow wave sleep, you're getting enough deep sleep, and you're getting enough overall sleep. These are all critical features. Again, these are things that we take for granted. And unfortunately, so many of us are literally giving ourselves cognitive decline or simply suboptimal cognition because we are not doing the right thing. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a mile marker for people.
0: And as soon as I heard you say it, I thought, oh my God, of course this is the answer, that it's diet, it's lifestyle, it's uh, exposure to toxins. It's like a whole bunch of things. I've heard you say before, there's no silver bullet, but there's potentially silver buckshot. That if, if we deal with all of these different assaults on the brain that are causing the, the um, insults, the injuries, then you're not gonna have the cognitive decline. That it isn't the amyloid plaque, to use an analogy, um, so many people, and th- this is the part that literally until two days ago when I started researching for this, um, I hadn't heard anybody say, it. i had only ever heard amyloid plaque, amyloid plaque, amyloid plaque, and if you think of amyloid plaque as the water that's on the house after a house fire, you to blame the water would be to fundamentally misunderstand the problem. And yes. you talk like a functional medicine practitioner. So can you walk us through like just the basic things that people encounter on a daily basis. So you you threw out processed food already, but things like mold and you talked about air pollution. Like what are some of the the just everyday insults people are taking?
1: Yeah. So let, let me just quickly walk through what this disease actually is. Because that's the whole you know, that that's the whole point of this. That when you're stuck back in the idea that the amyloid is causing the idea the, the disease itself, it makes no fundamental sense. Then you say, well wait a minute amyloid turned out to be an antimicrobial peptide. So, no surprise, it is part of your defense. So again, your brain is deciding are things good and I'm going to grow and and maintain synapses or am I under assault from any of these various things that we'll talk about, and therefore I have to go into protection mode. I am gonna pull back and say okay, I won't have quite as many synapses, but I'll survive. And that's what's happening as we get a little older and we begin, before you know, twenty years before Alzheimer's, we begin to downsize. Unfortunately, uh, this so should... let's get into the mechanism of that really fast. So yes. um, I like that; it's very clear. And
0: I know hippocampal density is one of the things you look at to judge whether somebody is having this problem or not. So what's going on is the brain is permanently staying in the mode of um, protect, downsize, right. and
1: even in old age, should it be alternating between protect and grow? Yes, you should, yeah, you should be able, as long as you don't have a lot of inflammation, a lot of toxicity, you got the support from trophic factors, hormones and nutrients, and you've got support for energetics, your brain should be able to make and maintain synapse. That's why we people say, oh, this person's 95 years old, but she's sharp as a tap, or he's sharp as a tap, you see this all the time, and this is because they've got that appropriate balance. And okay, so, so right, as they're
0: shrinking, is so yes. obviously, if you don't remove the insult, the injury, um, and you said that you know, trying to treat the symptoms of al- Alzheimer's would be like trying to repair your house as it's on fire. And it, it doesn't make sense. I, that conjured such a powerful image.
1: But why does it keep shrinking and shrinking and shrinking? Right. So we, when we said this about the house on fire for stem cells. So the idea was if you're only giving a monotherapy, so you're just taking a situation where you don't know what these things are that are causing you to be in that pullback mode, you're just gonna throw some stem cells in there. Yeah, they're gonna help transiently, but you're still the, the house is still burning down and you're trying to now do something. You're trying to rebuild it as it's burning down. So here's the thing. We have this set of things, and so chronically we are shrinking, shrinking. As we're on the wrong side of this balance, the supply is being exceeded by the demand. Well, you'll keep downsizing until, these, until you can meet the demand. So that's why you need to remove those insults. And as you indicated, there are several common ones. So let's start with you know, what are the common things for people that, to be insulted by as we are, as we are living. Well, we found subtypes of Alzheimer's that tell you uh, is yours mostly inflammatory, atrophic, glycotoxic, et cetera. And so we can again, see markers for that in the blood? Yes, yeah, you can see markers for those in the blood. So you can say uh, this person is mostly an inflammatory Alzheimer patient or inflammatory pre-Alzheimer's. And again, pre-diabetes, we recognize more and more pre-Alzheimer's incredibly important to, if we're going to make Alzheimer's a rare condition, which is exactly what it should be. So anything that's inflammatory. So we should know how we're doing with our oral microbiome. Do you have a lot of pathogens? Do you have poor dentition? You are at increased risk for cognitive decline if you do. And then do you have leaky gut? So again, leaky gut is something that I wasn't taught about in medical school, but turns out to be quite common for many of us. And when you have that, it will contribute to systemic inflammation and therefore increase your risk for cognitive decline. So these are all parts of type one or inflammatory cognitive decline. And then type two is atrophic. And so that's on the supply side where you have reductions and a typical thing people will have poor thyroid hormone or reduced testosterone or reduced estradiol or reduced vitamin D or increased homocysteine, on and on. So there's a whole set of things, again, required to make your brain function well. And I think everybody has that feeling, I have a day where you get up and wow, I'm really on today, things are going great. And on the other hand, everyone's had days where like, wait a minute, things are just not right today. So that's another big big one there. Then glycotoxic, so one of the most common contributors in the United States to cognitive decline is insulin resistance. There are about 80 million Americans who have insulin resistance. Uh, Many of them go on to have type 2 diabetes, but you don't have to have type 2 diabetes. Insulin is not only the thing that deals with glucose, of course, it's an energy-related hormone, but it's also quite an important growth factor for brain cells. And so when we used to grow brain cells in a dish all the time, we would always have to include insulin in their medium to keep them alive and to keep them interacting. Unfortunately, what happens to us is we are exposed to high carb diets, low fiber diets, high glycemic loads, and so we put out all this insulin for years and therefore we end up developing. You can actually follow the biochemistry of it, IRS-1, the signaling molecule, downstream from the insulin receptor has specific phosphorylation sites, multiple. When it is on signaling, the tyrosine phosphorylation is high and the serine-threonine phosphorylation is low. When you have insulin resistance, that changes. You have specific sites that, that are phosphorylated on serines and threonines, which is literally saying to you, we're turning down the volume here. And so this is now not giving its appropriate signaling. You have insulin resistance. And you can check, everyone should know their HOMA-IR. This is a simple calculation to tell you whether you have insulin resistance. If you do, you are at increased risk for cognitive decline and you're probably not as sharp as you should be. So that's what we call type 1.5 because it's both an atrophic one and an inflammatory one. Of course, the glycation of your proteins Everyone's familiar with hemoglobin A1C, which is what we measure for glycation of these proteins. But there are hundreds of proteins that are non-enzymatically glycated when you have high glucose levels. So that's now, I've
0: heard I've heard um, Alzheimer's referred to as type three diabetes. Um, uh, but researching you, that seems like even that, while probably a pretty big breakthrough compared to people talking just about amyloid plaques, um, still feels like a simplification. So how many total types are there? Um, If I remember right, there's five or six. And um, can you, just for anybody that's taking notes, can you just walk through with like a really simple, type one is this, type
1: 1.5, type two, so on. That'd be great. Absolutely, type one is inflammatory, as I mentioned. Type two is atrophic. Type 1.5 is glycotoxic. Uh, And so, and then type three uh, is toxic. And there are three types of toxins. you're talking about the metallotoxins and the organics, the organics and the biotoxins, things like mycotoxins. So that's type three, toxic. Type four is vascular. Again, hugely important to get appropriate energy. You need the oxygen, you need the ketosis, you need the blood flow, you need the mitochondrial support. And then type five is traumatic. So if you've got a a history of head injury, especially recurrent head trauma, not only are you at increased risk for CTE, but also for Alzheimer's disease. Okay, so
0: let's sort of flip the script here. Um, We're now thinking like a functional medicine practitioner, we're looking at the holistic approach like this. I think identifying what causes Alzheimer's, cognitive decline, figuring out how to begin to reverse that also tells us how to stay optimal or even you know, a little beyond uh, to yep. get to my obsession. Um, what does that protocol look like? What are we eating? What are we doing? Are we in the sauna? Are we exercising? We're we getting sunlight.
1: Like, what are what are the things people can do? Great point. So I have a book coming out actually in August, which is called The First Survivors of Alzheimer's, and fantastic seven wonderful stories from seven people who actually developed Alzheimer's. we told you're going to die. You got Alzheimer's. All of who deep into Alzheimer's bad. were these people? Uh, most of them had relatively early stage um, we have had some people very late stage who have improved but what happens is they tend to improve but they don't get all the way back to normal so we right. that's one of the things we're working on right now how do we take someone with late stage alzheimer's and get them all the way back to normal what we can do is we can get them improved somewhat for for people with early stage or especially pre-alzheimer's we see tremendous improvements we see people go from mocha scores of you know 19 which is very impaired it goes from zero to 30, MOCA's Montreal Cognitive Assessment. So it's a kind of standard test that's used. And uh, everyone should be scoring in the 28 to 30. 30 is a perfect score. And so we had people down in 19, which is you know, Alzheimer's disease, who came back to 30. So very, very striking. Uh, and, and so, yeah, very enthusiastic about that. But you brought up a good point. In this book, we have a chapter specifically on enhancing normal cognition. So what are all the things that you can do to get best outcomes? And yes, there's a whole program, very much like what we're using to bring people from suboptimal cognition to optimal cognition. You can start with normal and improve on your cognition. And yes, it has to do with a whole set of things. You're right, detox is part of it. We all have a some degree of exposure to toxicity. By the air we're breathing, by the water we're drinking, by the food we're eating, Uh, you know, just if you're eating uh, mercury-filled seafood, if you're not eating uh, grass-fed beef, um, if you've got a high-carb diet, if you're eating simple carbs, all of these things are contributing to a lesser-than-optimal outcome. So you're absolutely right. Just getting in that sauna, getting a sweat going, and then using a non-toxic soap like Castile to okay, get Okay, the- I want to go slow
0: through this. This this is something that I've heard you say a lot, and I've never heard of these soaps.
1: Um, so is Castile a brand? No, it's, it's a type of soap. And the whole idea of this is that they are they help you to get rid of the toxins uh, without adding more toxin. You don't want a lot of fragrance. I Meaning the sauna.
0: The soap's not helping you get rid of toxins, I would assume.
1: Well, no. What happens is the sauna is driving them out,
0: okay,
1: and just through seconds. sweat, right? And if you don't then wash them away, they will slowly reabsorb. So as you think about it. You know, you want to get rid of toxins by imbibing less. Obviously, less exposure, less of the eating, less of the breathing, less of the drink, all that stuff. And by the way, all of us who were in the California fires, you know, had a setback because of that. That's an issue. And we've had patients who were in, for example, the World Trade Center cloud if you look at everyone in the world trade center cloud just by 2015 13 percent of them already had cognitive decline these are people yeah relatively young scary as hell it really is um this being in that trade center cloud increased your risk not only for what we've heard about lung disease and cancers but also for cognitive decline. Okay, so so just by way of
0: example, sorry, to. I wanna keep going slow so that I make sure people can really take this into their lives. Okay, so I'm in the World Trade Center. The problem is forgetting cancer for a second and lung disease, which are maybe more obvious, but I'm I'm taking something in, it's getting into my bloodstream, it's crossing the blood-brain barrier, and Mm -hmm. some mechanism is happening in my brain. I'm guessing the amyloid plaques are actually glomming onto these toxic particles that have made their way into my brain. My brain goes into um, survival mode, so I'm not in growth and repair. I'm just trying to survive. I'm shrinking, shrinking. So, okay, to one, to try to minimize it, I can HEPA filter the life out of my space. Yep. Number two, I've taken in some toxins. I recognize that. So now I'm doing something to make me sweat. Does, is a sauna and exercise identical, or does a sauna have certain
1: benefits that exercise doesn't, or vice versa? They both have their own benefits, but they both do have sweating as one of their benefits. Um, yes, with with exercise, you're also improving blood flow to your brain. The sauna doesn't do that as much. On the other hand, sauna is dropping your blood pressure. Um, actually kind of you know, relaxing the uh, arterial stiffness for a period of time. So some people, unfortunately, will pass out in saunas, as you know. So be careful about that. But, yes, you also want to increase your glutathione. You want, also want Is to supplementing take— Supplementing or diet? There are a couple ways to go. And for many of these things, you can do it with diet. So, as an example, you want to take some sulforaphane. Very helpful, and you can get this with broccoli sprouts as an example. And is this for everybody, or only if we're in a a big environmental toxin moment? Yeah, so that's that's exactly the point. We are all living in a toxic world, that's the problem. Human beings are complicated organisms, and we are all exposed to some degree of toxicity. And so we realize that detoxification is not just for sick people. It's also for people who want to be healthier, who want to enjoy a better future with a lower risk of cognitive decline, a lower risk of cancer, a lower risk of chronic illness. I think this is something that you know, we've thought about medicine as we do fine and then we get sick, and then we take a pill and we're gonna be better again, but that's not the way it works. And then when I was on the National Aging Council, There was an epidemiologist who did a very interesting study looking at when, on average, do U.S. citizens develop their first chronic illness. And the answer was in our 40s. When do citizens of the U.K. develop their first chronic illness? In their 50s. So we're almost 10 years worse than the U.K. We don't think of the U.K. as being a a tremendously healthy group but they are healthier than United States citizens. On average, again, we, so we've got that combination of diet, poor exercise, uh, high stress, uh, poor sleep, and without a lot of brain training. That is a recipe. I wrote in the first book, uh, the, the, the End of Alzheimer's, a chapter specifically on how to give yourself Alzheimer's. You wanna give yourself Alzheimer's, I can help you do that. Um, it's actually pretty easy. You do all these things, the opposite of what we're recommending, And even though you won't have Alzheimer's on day one, you'll have the biochemistry that leads to it down the road. So you can, you know, you can impact yourself a lot by looking at that, you know, that whole set of things.
0: All right. Let me give myself Alzheimer's real quick and tell me if I got it right or if I'm missing anything. Um, I'm going to totally disrupt my sleep. Um, I'm going to avoid sunlight. So no vitamin D. I'm going to take in as much breathable toxin as humanly possible. I'm definitely gonna be doing things like smoking or sitting in traffic. Um, I am going to, I'm gonna do pro-inflammatory stuff. So I'm gonna be um, lots of carbohydrates, very low fat. I'm gonna eat a lot of big seafood. So things that live for a long time and eat a lot of smaller fish. Um,
1: I'm trying to think what the other six there are. Well, I've, no, I've gotten several of them. Yeah, cheeseburgers, fries, and a Coke. So lots of sugar, lots of saturated fat, and no fiber. That is a, what we call the Berfuda triad. So it's kind of like the uh, Bermuda tri- tri- triangle. This is the Berfuda triangle. Um, and so it's giving you this combination. So you want to have a leaky gut, you want to have a very high stressful job. The bottom line for the chapter was you want to do what so many of us are doing all the time. That is why 15% of us are dying of Alzheimer's disease, because we live in a society and live in such a way and eat in such a way and sleep in such a way and have stress in such a way that we are doing all the things that are pro-Alzheimer's. By the way, before we ever get Alzheimer's, many of us will avoid Alzheimer's, but we're still going to have suboptimal cognition. So we're not gonna do it, and and, many of us face that. Oh my God, it's it's the afternoon, I can barely keep my eyes open, I can barely focus, I can barely get my job done, I can't work fast enough, those sorts of things. Those are all critical.
0: Okay, so I wanna stay on toxicity for a second. Is fiber
1: tied to toxicity, or does that have a... Absolutely, so how do you get rid of these toxins? So what's happening is you have a dynamic balance. You're exposed to toxins all the time, and you are metabolizing them, inactivating them, excreting them all the time. So what's happening if you're on the wrong side of that balance? You have a bad future. If you're on the right side, you're just getting better all the time. So as you said, you want to absolutely reduce your exposure. Find out what your home ERMI score is. That's from the EPA. If it's high, get rid of you, know, remediate, and get rid of that exposure. Avoid the California fires. Avoid. Being on the 405, you know, at rush hour and that sort of thing. As you mentioned, HEPA filters very important. I think you know everybody should think about HEPA filters in their home. Cleaner air, no question, very very good. And then the appropriate urination. So yeah, filtered water. So many of us are exposed to really low quality water. Um, so that's a you know that's a huge issue. Um, and you know appropriate you know urination every day, very very helpful high fiber diets you're literally moving out these things so you've got a couple of ways to do it right and then you can you're also sweating them out and it's different toxins that are being removed by these different mechanisms and then of course you're also breathing them out so you want to optimize those things and then in your blood flow you want to have high glutathione levels high vitamin c levels so you want to have the appropriate detoxicants to bind these things up. Now you mentioned metals. So many of us are exposed to heavy metals and and Dr. Joe Pizzorno has made a wonderful career as a as a toxicologically oriented physician at looking at how many of us are exposed to too much mercury, too much lead, too much arsenic, too much on the persistent organic pollutants, and we don't realize it. As he points out, it's one of the major players in this increase in type two diabetes that has affected so many people in the United States. Yes, part of it is obesity, part of it is poor diet, but part of it also is exposure to arsenic, as it turns out. So Where, getting... where are we taking arsenic in? Yeah, you're taking arsenic in from several sources. You get it from groundwater, that's one of the most important things. So you can look up, what is the water in my area in terms of arsenic, where does it stand? There are certain areas of Utah, for example, very high in arsenic in groundwater. And then interestingly, uh, a lot of chicken. So for people who eat a ton of non-organic chicken, beware, check your arsenic level. Rice, another big one. For people who eat a ton of rice, check to see what your arsenic level is, because again, it's something you can detox from. And so you don't want to be keeping that stuff around. It's It can be damaged. It also increases your risk for cancer, by the way. Um, and as a group, these things all increase your risk for cognitive decline. So, again, you can do. So, yes, you want to give yourself Alzheimer's. Toxicity is part of it. And I can I can help you so that you can give yourself Alzheimer's fairly quickly.
0: That's it's very kind. I'm glad that you can also do the reverse and help me unwind sure. some of this stuff. Yeah. So let's talk about... Um, There's a mechanism in the brain that I found very interesting, basically uh, a mechanism by which we're metabolizing and flushing out the um, amyloid plaques, that this is part of a process, another one of your balance things. Um, What can we do to promote where it's like, okay, cool, I had um, something cross the blood-brain barrier where there's a virus, fungi, whatever, and amyloid plaques went and got it, and
1: now what can i do to make sure that that gets flushed out so one of my colleagues at ucla a guy named milan fial professor milan fial a really interesting character and what this guy showed is that you're you have this natural thing where you actually your macrophages and your circulating macrophages which are your monocytes so you can you can isolate take a little of your blood take your monocytes and then feed them the amyloid and see how good how good are they at eating the amyloid and for a normal person you eat the amyloid you're taking it up and get rid of getting rid of it pretty quickly for people who have cognitive decline they're very slow and it's because they don't it goes right back to the balance that we talked about before if you have ongoing inflammation what your body is saying to you is hey Tom you got you've got an insult from these various organisms so the last thing you want to do is eat up and get rid of your amyloid because your amyloid has an antimicrobial effect. It is part of your innate immune system by the way. So we want to leave that amyloid there so that it can continue to kill the bugs. So if you want to get rid of your amyloid and flush it out, you want to start by having a pristine system in which there isn't systemic inflammation because then your body's because you're you're working against yourself as long as you're saying, "Hey, I'm inflamed. I've got these various things from my oral microbiome or sinusitis or what have you, in my brain, you're not going to get rid of amyloid. You're going to make more because you're trying to fight those things. So the first thing to do is shut off the reason for making it, the insults. Second thing to do is to bind it up. And by the way, curcumin binds it up very nicely. So this is why, again, many people uh, will actually shave a little turmeric um, on their food people from india do this for years and years and it keeps that amyloid low it helps to remove it it binds it and helps to remove it now again you don't want to remove it if you've got systemic inflammation going on but if you have an anti-inflammatory state you can slowly remove it guess how else you remove it getting a good night's sleep Mm -hmm. very good to help remove it and again other things like um, excellent exercise you're getting that blood flow you're essentially you're doing more exchange than you would otherwise be doing, supporting it with appropriate oxygenation.
0: You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein, and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. And that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com/impact and use code IMPACT to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. Okay. So um, let's go real deep on diet here. So uh, I don't know what percentage of the issue you would prescribe to diet, um, but my sort of knee-jerk reaction, if somebody's like, my flight was delayed, I'm like, it's your diet. Like I just, to me, everything comes back, I know I'm oversimplifying, but so much comes back to diet. So um, you said something that I found really interesting, which was, think of me, so I go hard on meat. Uh, Grass-fed, but still, I like my meat. Um, And you said to treat meat like a condiment, So I found that very interesting. So what should my diet be? And assume I'm willing to do whatever you tell me is optimal.
1: Yeah. And again, you are relatively young. That's great. So when you're young, great. Have a high-protein diet. No problem. You want to get clean protein, of course. So you want to put things in that that are cleaner, that don't have all the pesticides, don't have all the hormones, don't have all the heavy stress you know many of these animals dying from bacterial infections so you got that now so that you want to avoid that so you already mentioned you're doing uh, you know you're you're eating things that are grass-fed beef fantastic the key here is you want to stay away from high simple carb diets that is bad for everybody and again it's an important part of being able to give yourself Alzheimer's optimally if you really want to give yourself Alzheimer's have plenty of simple carbs so what you want to have is a high good fats, polyunsaturates and monounsaturates. So olive oil, so uh, eating avocados, uh, you know, eating uh, any sorts of uh, oils, even some small amount of saturated fats, coconut oil, uh, not not even so bad. You don't want to have a ton of linoleic acid. Be careful about the omega sixes. You want it for for most of us, the average American diet has about 15 to one omega-6 to omega-3. It's unbelievable. So we're basically saying, let's give ourselves as much inflammation as we can and as little anti-inflammatory. If we can get it closer to one-to-one, two-to-one, three-to-one, even four-to-one, that's- where, much- where are the
0: big um, omega-6s coming in? So grain-fed beef would
1: have a ton of omega-6. Yeah, you're getting it from, you're basically getting it from seed oils, things like that, Uh, So you want to be careful about these seed oils that can have, you know, that can have also uh, known as vegetable oil. Yeah, vegetable oil, stuff like that, you know, palm oil, things like that. Um, Stick with the avocado oil and that sort of thing and the extra virgin olive oil um, on the positive side. And to be fair, you do get a lot of omega sixes from nuts. So you wanna have some nuts because they do give you good oils, but you don't wanna be going crazy on the nuts mm. because they can give you too much on the inflammatory side. Do I need raw nuts? Can I have roasted, salted, where yeah. are at? Raw and minimally roasted. Don't roast them to death because you're damaging the oils then. And you can, you, you know, you can oxidize the oils. Remember when you know, saturated fats are hard to oxidize because they don't have double bonds. But the unsaturated fats have those double bonds that make them quite susceptible to oxidation. They can go rancid, that's the idea. Uh, And so be careful of rancidity.
0: Okay, so um, now let's talk about the meat in that. So I've heard you say plant-rich, so I wanna have, um, what percentage, like if you were gonna ballpark me calories, what,
1: what percentage of my calories do I want from plants? Yeah, so here's the thing, let's work from the biochemistry side. Here's what, then we'll talk about, if you want to end up with perfect brain function, here's what you need to do to do that. Okay, so for good brain function, you want to be able to have some ketosis. So you want to have a mildly ketotic diet. Do you check your ketones, and are you driving yourself into mild ketosis? I I checked my
0: ketones so ferociously for so many years. Even though I don't check them now, I can feel it. Right, Explain yeah. to me, though, why why do I want to be in ketosis at some periods and you should probably tell people about your keto twelve three, um, yeah. just so that they get sort of your overall philosophy. And then I promise I mentioned seafood. We will come back to that. Uh, yeah.
1: but yeah, walk us through the, the why of ketosis. Right. So the thing is that your brain functions, it's gotta have, it's gotta have energy and you get two types. You can either metabolize glucose, or you can metabolize ketones. That's what your mitochondria use in your brain. And good brain function is a lot about energetics, as we talked about before. And by the way, Alzheimer's is a lot about poor energetics. Poor mitochondria, poor evaluation. So what happens is, so many of us, we should be metabolically flexible. You should be able to go back and forth. You have some carbs, you metabolize that. The next meal you have a lot of fats, you can metabolize ketones, which come from the, the metabolism of the fats. And you go back and forth. That's where you want to be. For so many of us, though, we're purely on the carbs. And so even beginning in your late 20s, if you are at risk and if you are if APOE4 positive, and let's digress for one moment to talk about APOE. Do you know your APOE status? I don't. But after listening to you, I, I am desperate okay. to get tested. Yeah. So three quarters of people in the country are APOE4 negative which means your lifetime risk for Alzheimer's about 9% or so. About 75 million Americans have one copy of ApoE4, so they got it from either their mother or their father, but not both. And they are their risk goes from 9% for their life to 30% for their life. And then 7 million Americans have two copies. They got one from their mother and one from their father, and they are well over 50%, more likely that they will get Alzheimer's than that they will avoid it. Well, good, now we can make sure that nobody gets it. Again, by doing the right things, by checking these things before you get it. Unfortunately, most people don't know. So, when you have APOE, then you have an increased risk for cognitive decline, you have an increased risk for inflammation, and so you, you wanna know that in terms of what you're gonna be doing optimally. Um, and by the way, it's uh, it, you know, it's one of the key issues for uh, for seafood. Um, so improving, you know, one of the reasons to, to to get your appropriate fats on board. And so those people are specifically should be staying away from a lot of saturated fats. So all we're trying to do is drive people, get you into ketosis. If you take someone who's ApoE4 positive as an example, by the late 20s, you can see a decreased glucose utilization in the temporal lobe and the parietal lobe. That's the signature of Alzheimer's in many years later, but you're beginning to see the first changes in the late 20s and early 30s. So again, why we suggest- So
0: I know enough about APOE4 to ask maybe the right question. So APOE4, you put in a historical context, really amazing that it actually would have been very beneficial to our long, long ago ancestors who were just coming down out of the trees. They needed yeah. a pro-inflammatory state to deal with punctures in their feet, infections, eating raw food, all that. I thought that was a brilliant take that it, it's actually disappearing because of the changes in the lifestyle, but it actually served a purpose. That, I don't know, that made me feel better about it. Um, yeah. But that the reason that I begin to get the decrease in uptake of, um, Insulin is because uh,
1: I'm in a pro-inflammatory state? Is that what's causing that? Yes, because you have this beginning of loss of utilization and it is related to insulin resistance, a pro-inflammatory state, you can bridge that gap. And some beautiful work from Dr. Stephen Cunane showed that you can bridge that energy gap with ketones. So that's why we wanna get you into a mildly ketotic state and for anyone with cognitive decline, we definitely want to get you into a mildly ketotic state, and that means a low carb diet. Now, there's nothing again, nothing wrong with appropriate meats, and especially you know, think about uh, uh, you know fish, uh, especially the smash fish, the, the little guys, salmon, mackerel, anchovies, sardines, and herring. Those are the good guys. You don't want the high mercury guys because they can uh, they can hurt you, and you want wild caught fish. Grass-fed beef, nothing wrong with that. If you want to be a vegetarian, fine. If you want to have grass-fed beef, no problem. Um, and it does it'll, it'll help you obviously with uh, uh, avoiding uh, uh, you know avoiding sarcopenia as you get a little older, uh, you know loss of muscle mass. So you can get protein, you know you can get your protein through meat. You can get it through vegetables and other things as well, beans, you know all sorts of other ways to get it. So, that's, so this, this KetoFlex 123 is that you're getting into ketosis, you're having a high fiber diet, you're having fasting for a minimum of 12 hours. If you're ApoE4 positive, 14 to 16 hours is better. If you're ApoE4 negative, 12 to 14 is fine. You need that time overnight to get some autophagy, to get your lymphatic system, you're now cleaning things up, um, and to improve your ketosis. Um, so all of these things work together to give you the best synaptic maintenance and synaptogenesis so that's why keto flex 12 3 um, and then three hours is before bed so you want to if you don't want to stop eating five minutes before you go to bed because your <laughs> insulin will still be high and, and and by the way have you checked your cgm yet so continuous glucose monitoring another quantified self is changing the world so for i think all your viewers uh, there's so much you can do now that you wasn't available ten years ago. Uh, between Apple Watch and Oura Ring and Omron for blood pressure and ketones, you know, ketone checks, things like Biosense, you can do breathalyzers now. Um, you can check your your sleep at night. You can check your microbiome. You can check your genome. I mean, it's it's incredible. So you really can can fine tune yourself and improve your health and improve your long term cognition with all the things that are currently available. Yeah, continuous glucose monitoring is
0: fascinating. I did that probably for about six months and Ah, loved it. It it turned eating into sort of a game of, you know, what's going to spike my glucose? What can I do activity-wise to drive it back down? That was really fascinating. I once ate a bowl of ice cream and did about 300 uh, body weight squats and actually drove my insulin down lower than before when I ate the ice cream. So that was really interesting. It was not worth it. 300 air squats is a lot of air squats. Yeah. Um, so I didn't do that anymore, but um, it was, that was very, very interesting. And yeah, beginning to understand some of these, in fact, I would love to know um, what are the tests that somebody should be doing with frequency To keep a real handle on their health. So, you've obviously mentioned several already. Uh, We talked about oximeter, uh, glucose monitoring. Um, What are some of the the things that people can do? I won't say where price just doesn't matter, but that are, you know,
1: it doesn't have to be free, but is reasonable. And let me ask when you did the CGM, did you drop into hypoglycemia at all? Because that's. Equally damaging to your brain. You don't want to be spiking too high, but we find that a number of people will wake up in the middle of the night not realizing they have gone into hypoglycemia. And that is damaging to your brain. So, you know, that's again why a high good fats and protein with low carbs will give you that nice smooth curve and you don't get these big spikes and you don't get the big troughs. So here are the things you want to know, as you were asking, what what do you want to know here? Well, again, you want to go back to, what are the things that are putting you at risk? And what are the things that are taking away from your best performance? And so you want to know, first of all, do I have any systemic inflammation? And you can check your HSCRP, simple test, easy to do, any doctor can do it in a draw blood. You can, by the way, now do, we have a cognoscopy, and I made up that word just because Everybody realizes when they turn 50, they should have a colonoscopy. Well, for anyone, I recommend this for people for their 40th birthday. Get a cognoscopy. Check and see where you stand. And again, where, if your, where do we actually get that? Mycognoscopy.com. Easy to do. You can do a direct cognoscopy, and it's just three things it's some simple blood tests, it's a simple online cognitive assessment. And then the third part is actually. Uh, is actually optional. If you've got symptoms of cognitive decline, you want to include an MRI with volumetrics, but if you don't have any symptoms, you're doing well, don't worry about it, you don't need to do that third part. So it's quite simple. Some blood testing and a quick online cognitive assessment. And then what you want to know is, you want to know the very parameters that are gonna help giving you best function of your brain. So as I said, systemic inflammation, you want to know do you have good dentition? If you want to check, you could, there's a test called oral DNA. Easy, it'll tell you whether you have a high amount of the pathogens like P. gingivalis. Those are the guys that end up in your brain and that are causing you to make that amyloid over the years that is affecting your cognition. Um, and then you want to know, uh, for example, do you have le- You mentioned leaky gut. That's a huge issue. Very common and a common contributor to suboptimal cognition and a suboptimal metabolism. So you wanna know that. And then you wanna know your glucose numbers. And you don't necessarily have to do CGM, although I I think it's helpful, but if you just know your HOMA-IR, so what that means is you're checking your fasting glucose and your fasting insulin. So some people will have a normal fasting glucose, but they're only able to do that because their fasting insulin is working overtime to keep that glucose in the normal range. Is there a home test for that? Yeah, there's not a home test for fasting insulin yet, unfortunately. Uh, so that's a, a blood test. Again, you can get it, you know, you can get it online, but there isn't a simple quantified self sort of mm. thing, it's a biohacking sort of thing that you can do for that. Uh, and then you want to know. Are you low in specific hormones, nutrients, and growth factors? And so you wanna know your vitamin D, as an example. So we actually created, for people interested in prevention, we created something called Precode. So if you look up Precode, P-R-E-C-O-D-E, it'll give you the ability to get a report and a simple uh, test that will do the critical things to know if you are at risk. Things like your vitamin D and your thyroid status You want to know your homocysteine. Homocysteine is an indicator of your ability to methylate, which is important for a number of things. One of them being your detox. Um, And then you want to know your toxicity status. Now, if you want to look at just the things you can do by yourself at home, Okay. Again, you can order these tests, and, and people you can literally have a someone come to your home and draw these for you, or you can go to a local center. Either way, but if you just want to do it by quantified self, then I recommend that people get either an Apple Watch, an Aura Ring, uh, something like this. And again, it, there are so many things you can do. You can uh, look at your uh, you can look at your microbiome on your own. Send that literally send that in. Um, you can look at um, your blood pressure, check it easily. There's a thing called Omron, which will which will allow you to follow it with your Apple Toolkit. Um, and we have we actually have an app now that, that looks at all these various things and helps you to follow them along. Uh, you can look at your uh, you can look at your oxygenation, as I mentioned earlier, with Apple Watch and things like that. And then you can also look at your uh, at your vascular elasticity. Um, with something that's called uh, iheart so you can look you take that and look at your vascular elasticity and then your heart rate variability Um, and you can see uh, you know how you're doing for your age and again you'll you'll notice when you're under a lot of stress when when things are tough you're going to have a much lower heart rate variability Mm -hmm. when you're doing well and again you know as a scientist i never thought the idea of things like you know, things like meditation, I thought these things were, you know, worthless. And I have to say, I, you know, I can't ignore the data. The data show you that these things are actually helpful. Getting that heart rate variability up, getting that stress down, actually turns out to be to be surprisingly helpful. And interestingly, as we were developing drugs for Alzheimer's, one of the targets turns out to be CR. F1, so it's just basically your the thing that's causing you to release cortisol, of course cortisol releasing factor, has receptors in your brain. And those receptors are, when they're binding, you're getting a pro-Alzheimer's effect. So again, you're affecting cognition by running up your cortisol levels. So no question, things like meditation and good sleep, uh, getting your heart rate variability up, turn out all to be very helpful. And then do you I assume that you check your VO2 max as well? Uh, I on, never. Okay, your Apple Watch has that, so you can see where your VO2 max is. Yours is probably very high, because if you're in good shape, it should be quite high. And of course, it's age-related, but again, keeping yourself in good shape, that's another thing. It's basically telling you, are you able to metabolize the oxygen and get yourself appropriate blood flow Uh, And so, again, all these things are critical for, again, for giving yourself best outcomes and best cognition, by the way. And then I think it's helpful to check glutathione. Some people argue that that's one that, uh, you know, most people are going to have a decent level of glutathione. But for people who have toxicity, you have to have some way to determine, you know, do I have a lot of ongoing exposure to toxins? So I think it's a very helpful thing to do check your glutathione level, and also check to see if you've got toxins, if you've got heavy metals, that's an easy one to check, that's a blood test, or you can do it as a urine test. Some people like to do it as a provoked urine test, that's fine, but one way or another, screening for those metals, see where you stand. And then organics, if you've got a you know, very high load of, uh, you know, of persistent organic pollutants, um, that's, that's important to know if you've got a, you know, if you've got high uh, exposure to benzene, toluene. And here's an example. We had a person come in a few years ago uh, who was 47 years old uh, with clear cognitive decline. And it turned out that what had happened is she had been exposed for years and years to paraffin candle burning. And these things give off high levels of benzene, toluene, even some mercury. And so she had extremely high levels, unfortunately, uh, of those things from this constant exposure. Uh, so again, helpful to do that. And then look at, your, uh, look at your mycotoxins. And again, there's a separate test for those. There's a couple groups, Real Time does this, and also uh, GPL uh, both do these urinary mycotoxins. If you're low, hallelujah, don't think about it for a few years. But if you're, if you're not realizing that you're exposed to these things, they can give you all sorts of problems, including cognitive decline, where you go in and the doctor says, I don't know why you've got this. Your cognition is just not very good. Well, that's something that's important to look into. So yeah. all of these, very, very helpful.
0: Man, all of this has been extraordinarily helpful. I have really enjoyed not only our time together, but researching you, going through your book. Um, very, very hopeful the way that you're showing people that, you know, we really may be living through the last generation that gets um, Alzheimer's without understanding how to avoid it. And so that is extraordinary. And then being able to use this stuff for cognitive optimization is incredible. Where can people find out more about you um, so that they know when the book is coming out, which I believe is
1: later in 2021, uh, what's the best way? Yeah, good point. So the the next book, uh, The First Survivors of Alzheimer's coming out in August. Thanks for asking about that. And you can get more information at uh, or you can go to mycognoscopy.com, uh, or you can go to Apollo Health. So we set up a, a software company that just that does software for looking at all these different variables. Because again, the future of medicine is for physicians to work with software engineers so your generation is going to have much better cognition than my generation because we didn't know about this and you don't have to worry about alzheimer's it really should be a rare disease and i'm convinced it will be by the time you get to my age i think this will be a very rare condition Amazing. Thank you so much.
0: And guys, be sure to go check out everything that he has to offer. It will change your life quite literally at the cellular level. So my friends, get after it. And speaking of things you should get after, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.